When teardrops fall and arrows fly, when times are hard and stakes are high, when the heaviness of everything hits your heart and hurts you deep within, rock on. You gotta rock on. Rock on, teddy bears. One of my favorite memes out there has been on the market a long time. I've seen a number of variants on the theme, and I've used it a dozen times or so. The picture changes in most iterations, but the phrase, this post gave me depression, is what makes the meme. Now, I'm not sure if it's my favorite because of the simple, comedic way it expresses the depth of understanding and empathy felt by the poster, or if it's just so darn relatable. Maybe I just see it everywhere these days, a rarity for an old meme, but for one so relevant, I think it just speaks of the times we live in. I hope this post does not give you depression. And if it does, I'm sorry, Spider-Man. I'm not going to talk about anything specifically depressing on purpose. I'm actually going to share a few stories about things that cheer me up. Two old stories and one new one. Times are tough, and the days are shorter than we all tell ourselves. I spend too much of them reminding myself not to hate things. I struggle with anger that I don't often externalize. I fester on things, and there's no good kind of festering. So I use the good stories as mental karate to kick out the bad ones. I want to start by explaining what a, and this is in quotes, sexy photo shoot is as defined by my friend group. That way, when I tell you my friends and I have done a number of sexy photo shoots together, your mental image and mine are in the same place. I'm not sure where the name originally came from, but the activity is something we used to do a few times a year. We'd grab a couple cameras, head to a park or trail, and just goof around as we took pictures. We're not photographers, nor are we models. We just like doing stupid stuff together, and the cameras let us capture some of that craziness for posterity. There was no rhyme or reason. Often the excuse was, so-and-so is going to be in town, let's do a sexy photo shoot, and just get out of the house for a bit. We'd pile into a few cars and run amok as soon as we hit our destination. Playgrounds and open fields were common enough, we could find an empty one and just sprawl. There were no planned shots, very little posing, plenty of fake fights, and lots of jumping. It was just a great way to get out of the house, run around for a while, and have enough pictures to spam whatever relevant social media accounts we frequented at the time. A good number of my favorite pictures of my friends, and even myself, came from these events. When I try to picture my friend Chad in my head, I think about a picture of the two of us from a sexy photo shoot, both of us making terrible faces, but it always puts a laugh in me. If we met up late enough, we'd either grab food together or the shoot would devolve into night games as soon as the pictures stopped turning out. There were even a few times we got busted for being at a park after sunset. The punishment was always just a brief talking to. Explaining to the police that you're just there for a sexy photo shoot was always entertaining. There was one time where the hide-and-seek game was so good, the cops didn't even find us. The last time we got together for a shoot was the day before a few of my friends got married. They didn't come. Again, these things aren't planned, and the day before a wedding is something most people definitely have planned out. Instead, a number of the guests met up at a park and just spent the afternoon building human pyramids, climbing around a playground in their late teens to mid-twenties, and just having fun. The classic group that would meet up for these began to separate before this final shoot, and with the progression of time, people getting married, having kids, work and school schedules beginning to conflict, people kept moving away. I moved away. Time just got away from us, and we haven't been sexy since. Maybe we can be sexy again once the world is less on fire, but until then, I'll keep doing my best. The next story actually takes place the day after the final shoot, the day of the wedding. We met up with the party and enjoyed a lovely ceremony that involved a great number of my old friends all being in the same place for the first time in a few years. 
It wasn't the first wedding in the friend group, but it was the first one involving so many of us and so many people important to me. I often escaped to that day in my head. The warmth of the sun in the lawn, the smell of the cut grass and lawn sprinklers, the happiness of the people, my people, all gathered in one place. The group had just started to separate, but for a brief moment we were all together and we held fast to that thought. After the ceremony, we met back up in our human clothes and had a blast just sitting around for the short reception. We had planned a movie night back at my place after the reception, and the number of invitees continued to catamari the longer we sat around. When we eventually left the reception for my place, there were far more than we had planned. Mostly people I knew, but a few I didn't, but that wasn't an issue. We crammed us all into my pad and threw a movie on for us to promptly ignore. Instead, we drank. We used to drink like champions. We did drink like champions. For the sake of avoiding embarrassment, I won't mention any of the names of the party members, but I will tell you the events. The events were meaningful, terrible, and hilarious. I guess the only name you'll know is my own, and that's only because it's way too late for me to hide that. Anyway, there I was, in my own apartment, with my own booze, with my own people. The night quickly progressed with the mass quickly exceeding the volume and spilling into the realm of loud and amazing. I wandered the party, talking with friends, both new and old, about the full spectrum of what life was at the time. People got drunk, and people got loud. Rock Band quickly booted the movie off the main screen. Rock Band being a popular, era-defining game that was present at most parties around that time. And Rock Band mixed with a certain Weezer song was most certainly the reason the police were called to break up our party. When they showed up, I was a drunken puddle on the floor of the hallway. A buddy of mine let me know that they were outside, and like the T-1000, I reformed myself from liquid to human shape. The party had begun to wind down by the time they arrived, but the masses were still present. They said they had suspicion of underage drinkers and needed to search the place. In an attempt to be as cooperative as possible, I began walking them from room to room. The first room we entered was seemingly empty, but the first thing they asked me to do was open the closet. Why would someone hide in the closet, I had thought to myself but as soon as I opened the door, a human fell out. A drunk, but definitely of age human. I facepalmed and proceeded with the walkthrough. The next closet was even more clown car-esque. The number of people who spilled out staggered me, and I'm not even sure how they even fit in there. I was open-mouth amazed watching them walk out one at a time. It seemed like half the party had somehow squeezed in there. Once all of the closet people had been removed from their dwellings, IDs were shown and a line of people were breathalyzed and promptly ticketed. Legend says that one individual had drank an entire bottle of Arbor Mist but somehow managed to blow a zero. The cops left and most of the party dispersed. I remember cleaning up afterwards. The adrenaline of having the party busted had burned all the booze out of my system and being completely amazed that we got off as well as we had had put a weary smile on my face. It sucked, don't get me wrong, but nobody went to jail. I went outside to breathe some night air, as the nausea hadn't faded quite as quickly as the buzz. I stared up at the stars from our walkway and waved to the few party people still visible from my vantage point. I knew that night marked a turning point for the group. We were older and had to be less stupid about the stunts we pulled. I don't remember going to bed or much of the next day, honestly, but I do remember thinking about how much had changed, and how much change was coming. It was a once-in-a-lifetime party, legendary for a half-dozen reasons, and it would never happen again. I often look up at the night sky and think about what might be out there, what kind of things or places I'm looking at without actually being able to see. I'm fascinated by space and the movement of the celestial spectrum, 
even if I am so very uninformed on the actual specifics of it. I'm a sucker for a good story, though, and so many stories revolve around having perceived meanings in things like stars. One object in particular, Halley's Comet, holds a special significance for me. I was born in 86, the last time it swung by these parts. There was a lot of media around the early to mid-90s concerning kids born in 86. A bunch of wacky astrology, sure, but to a kid, it made me feel significant in some strange way. The fad died out to make way for the excitement surrounding the Hale-Bopp Comet in 97, an event I remember watching with sheer childlike wonder. And while I won't ever get to see Hale-Bopp again, I keep an eye out for its cousins. And most recently, I got to spend an evening with Neowise. If you didn't get the chance to see it, I'm sorry. I made sure to keep an eye out days before and tried my best to see it every night it was around. I had great luck spotting it one night in particular and took a long walk just to find a great spot to view it. I walked at first with the sunset at my back for a long time. Turning around, I could see the comet just barely visible in the still fading light. When I found the spot, though, the sun had set and the stars were pouring out their old light all around me. I could see Neowise and its tail smeared across the sky. I sat down just off my usual trail and stared at it. My mind wandered to thoughts of the last time I had laid down in grass and stared at a comet and wondered when my next opportunity would be. When I know I'm alone in a place in the dark like that, I like to process my thoughts by saying things out loud. Yeah, I know talking to oneself is supposed to be crazy, but it's basically therapy for me. I just laid there under the night sky and talked to myself, talked to the comet that I would never see again. When I had processed enough, or when my mind was no longer spinning with thoughts, I sat up and began my walk home. This time, I faced the comet and could keep an eye on it for most of the journey back. I told Neowise that if I were still around, somehow still here and alone, the next time it came by, I would go with it. Surely, it'll be nearly 7,000 years from now, but you never know. Mark Twain seemed to know, though. He famously said, I came in with Halley's Comet in 1835. It's coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. He passed the day after its return. Now, it won't be a great disappointment for me if I go out with Halley in 2061. I do hope to live long enough to watch it drift by, maybe lay in the grass one more time and speak with the stars. Thanks for listening. I know I got a little eclectic there, and maybe hearing about me talking to myself isn't a great story, but it is part of my story. This story that I'm slowly unfolding to you. This story which still needs a name, by the way. Also, next week I'm going to be away from my computer, so I won't be able to record an episode. I'll have one ready for the third, and I'm hoping that I'm energized by my travels enough to write and record one in time for the tenth. I won't miss a week, though, or rather, I'll do my best to not miss a week. That's my plan for this year. Hit every week, no matter what. Maybe I'll be better at all of this by the end of the year, and I'll certainly have a name by then. Maybe even some kind of a sign-off.